Okay, welcome everyone to the Citizen's Guide. Thanks for joining us today and happy Labor Day. Um, we're recording this the Saturday before, but if you're listening on Monday, it is Labor Day. And just a reminder, Labor Day is a day to celebrate the contributions of laborers and the labor movement to the development and success of the United States. So as you, if you have your day off work, um, just be thankful to labor unions and union workers for making that possible. Uh, so today on the podcast, Connor and I are going to take a dive back into the presidential race and discuss uh, some polling and some financial numbers that have been updated since last month. Uh, we're going to discuss the outcome of the Democratic primary for one of Massachusetts Senate seats and why that matters nationally. Uh, and finally, we're going to give an update on the poisoning of Alexei Navalny, followed by two of our favorite segments, News Too Dumb to be True and my recommendations for the week. So with 59 days to election day, let's take another look at how the race stands. Polls show Joe Biden still ahead in battleground states and seven to, point, seven to 10 points ahead nationally. However, with a slim lead in Pennsylvania and North Carolina. After a week of messaging law and order at the RNC and at his rallies, most Americans aren't that concerned about crime and a majority think that the violence or protests would get worse under Donald Trump. Joe Biden also smashed fundraising goals, raising over $360 million in August, the largest single month haul since Obama. So what are your thoughts on this post-convention non-shakeup period? <laughs> yeah, I think, well, for, for me, I'm excited and I'm sure the Biden campaign is probably rather satisfied with the polling results. I think you kind of, you look at the past and you see, you know, sometimes, you know, often, there is a bump for one of the candidates after the convention. And I think in 2016, Donald Trump had a bump after his convention. Um, so it's good for the Biden campaign that the race has stayed steady because prior to the conventions, Biden was polling very well nationally and very well in the battleground states. Uh, one thing I do want to be cautious about, I guess, is I can't remember who it is on Twitter that posted this. It was like Nate Silver or another another professional pollster reminded us that Joe Biden could win the national vote by as many as like four or five, six points and still lose in the Electoral College. So all of this polling should be taken with a grain of salt because, you know, it doesn't really matter how many millions of people turn out in California uh, as it does how many tens of thousands end up maybe switching their votes or voting for the first time in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Um, or sitting the, out on their vote. Right, right. Uh, but that being said, uh, a Fox News poll also this week had Biden uh, up by nine points in Arizona, eight points in Wisconsin, and four points in North Carolina. Each of those three states uh, went to Trump in 2016. That Arizona number and the North Carolina number are particularly interesting because both states have competitive Senate races. And if Joe Biden does pull off uh, big wins there, uh, the Senate candidates or the Democratic Senate candidates are likely to do uh, very well. Uh, and then another poll, Quinnipiac, had Joe Biden leading by eight points in Pennsylvania. But there were other polls that had Pennsylvania a little bit tighter. Um, so we'll just need more data to see if that's an outlier or if he really is up by eight or if he's up by something closer to four. Uh, what, what did you think about it? Do you think, do you think the Biden campaign is feeling good right now? I think they're probably feeling the same as they did before the convention. They went in with a pretty strong lead over an incumbent and a popular incumbent. 
And after going through the RNC, the DNC, and the Kenosha shootings, I say they still look pretty good. Like their messaging is consistent and it's what the American people, the majority want to hear regarding coronavirus, protests, race relations. They all think that Joe Biden would do a better job handling them than Donald Trump would. Um, I think it's important to note that on the Fox News poll, even though Fox News conducted the poll, there is no right-leaning slant to it. So it doesn't mean anything. Like, it's just a poll. Like, yeah, there's no... no that's an excellent point. Yeah, Fox yeah. News polling is actually, um, like, A-grade. So, you know, I would consider it... They're not good. polling Fox News viewers. But. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it looks pretty good. And I think for people who don't follow polls like we do, I think it's important to say that these polls shouldn't be viewed as predictive, but more as just like a look at how the race is right when that poll is conducted. I think it's hard to extrapolate any, any further like path or messaging from them. Yeah, definitely. One thing that I've found interesting in looking at it is kind of looking at what types of voters are leaning towards which candidate. And so we find that Joe Biden is leading among women, among voters over the age of 65, among uh, people of color and among white college graduates, whereas Donald Trump leads among men, especially among white non-college educated men, uh, which make up a sizable portion of the electorate in some states that really matter. Um, but what's clear from this is that Joe Biden, uh, as most Democratic presidential candidates do, has a, has a much more diverse coalition of voters. Um, one troubling statistic or piece of data is that Joe Biden does not seem to be performing as well amongst black voters and Latino voters as even Hillary Clinton did in 2016 and obviously polling uh, worse amongst both groups than President Obama did in either 08 or 2012. So hopefully he can make up some ground with those voters. The reason he's still leading in the polls uh, despite those lacking those supporters is uh, he has managed to do much better amongst white voters than either Hillary Clinton or uh, Barack Obama to some extent. In so, particular, the 60 plus white voters, the, 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 the old people he's doing really well. <laughs> right. Um, and that's, that's particularly important in Florida. It's not really anecdotal that Florida is full of people over the age of 65, they actually constitute a very important voting block in that state. Uh, and if Joe Biden can manage to win in Florida, uh, then, then that, that could be curtains for the Trump White House. Um, another thing I know we wanted to look at is uh, some of the issues, like how people are kind of rating each candidate. So this is from a CNN poll, 48% uh, find have a favorable opinion of Joe Biden, where 43% have an unfavorable opinion. And for Trump, that number is much worse. Only 40% have a favorable view, whereas 56% have an unfavorable view. Um, so that's, that's something to, to be that far underwater. I think it's something to his advantage that Joe Biden is not deeply polarizing for this race. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I think it goes to his advantage that and I think it's for the benefit of the electorate that we don't, that there's not a candidate that's like a, like command such a, a cult following. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And just to look back at 2016, um, Hillary Clinton was deeply 
uh, view, viewed as very unfavorably by the electorate, uh, fairly or unfairly. Um, listeners can decide what they think. Uh, some more numbers on the economy. Voters slightly favor Trump 49% to Biden's 48%. On keeping America safe, they prefer Biden 51% to Trump's 45%. And on a really important marker, honesty and trustworthiness, Biden leads 53% to Trump's 36%. And finally, when asked who has a clear plan for solving the country's problems, Biden leads 49% to Trump's 43%. Connor, what do you make of President Trump still leading on the issue of the economy? I, I mean, it's his one, one issue left where he commands a marginal lead, a 1% lead. And I think it's, it's shrunk since they started the race since the coronavirus took up. I think Joe Biden was trailing by a couple more percentage points earlier in the summer, early in the pandemic. So the fact that they've gained so much ground, I think it shows that it's not looking good. And the longer that Congress does not pass any sort of uh, an extra relief bill and the president just writes meaningless executive orders that do nothing, then I think we'll see that number start to go down faster. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's still um, maybe some heartburn amongst Democrats from 2016 about our economic message, um, maybe not getting through to voters. I think, and you hear this a lot from from pundits, uh, that the Democrats didn't have an economic message in 2016, which just isn't true. It was just that in 2016, Donald Trump was soaking up every ounce of airtime available and the message wasn't able to break through but i think this year joe biden's plan or series of plans is breaking through a little bit more just because more voters are tuned in because they're stuck in their homes all the time um, or they're actually living through um, an economic crisis personally and that's making them pay more attention to what either candidate can offer uh trump's plan seems to just be more of the same um more trade war more tax breaks for for wealthy people. Joe Biden, you know, the the slogan build back better. He wants to kind of invest in in a greener economy, in an economy that works for for everyone, not just the few. Um, So I think voters, I think that resonates with voters. And I think, you know, with millions of Americans still out of a job, unemployment, uh, somewhere above 8%, Americans are going to be looking for something different. And I think, I think you're right in noting that, that Biden seems to, improve, to have improved in this area over the campaign and that we might rather look at the trajectory of that number rather than just the, the 49-48 uh, split right now because that could, you know, we've still got um, yeah, I don't. I don't think the winning strategy was for Larry Kudlow to say that the coronavirus has passed. I don't, I don't think that that really stuck with the the watchers of the rnc right yeah i don't like we talked about the rnc seems to have had no discernible impact other than potentially making joe biden a more favorable candidate um so what what do you think about because this is a big issue right now like last week we talked about wisconsin uh we've talked about protests ever since we started the podcast what do you think of voters uh, giving Joe Biden a six-point edge on keeping America safe. Which, so- b- before you talk, I I don't know what the exact question was in the poll because to me, keeping America safe has two meanings. It either means a sound foreign policy 
or a sound domestic security policy. I think the intent of CNN in this was talking about domestic issues. So we'll just assume for yeah. the sake of this that that's what they were talking about. But go ahead. Yeah. Um, I'm just constantly always during this, I'm surprised it's not higher. When you have him just, when you have Trump just instigating violence, you have advisors saying on national television that more violence will be good for their campaign. Like, of course, like Joe Biden is going to do better. Like, the fact that he even did like a community, like roundtable sit down with the people of Kenosha, like, that's not something extraordinary. That's something any politician should do in their community. Like, that's normal. But the fact that Trump was just like, going through the destruction, pointing out how much ruin there was, the voters aren't buying that message. Like Americans by and large are not buying that message that chaos and destruction is coming to their town. So again, just surprised the number's not higher. Right, you'll see, you know, on social media, a picture of a burnout building and a Trump surrogate will say, you know, this is Joe Biden's America. And it's, it's like, no, Donald Trump is the president. Joe Biden doesn't hold elected office. Um, so this is Trump's America that, that, you know, if, if you really think cities are in chaos, which, which they're not, violence is, is a very rare occurrence at these protests. Um, and the fact that we're still in a pandemic, like, <laughs> I just, it's hard to forget. It's hard it's to forget hard to that forget. yes, we are. <laughs> especially if you're working for the Donald Trump campaign. And the, and again, like the polls show this, like no one is worried about crime. It's the pandemic that's keeping them from going to college, from going out and like just living a life, holding a job. Like I'm just surprised. Again, I think it shows that by and large, Trump is not a very good politician. Like, right. And I know that's, that's part of his charm, but it's also like why he's not doing like better. I'll eat my words if he wins in November, but like these aren't the strategies you should be employing if you want to win. Right. I think, I think that's, that's a good point. And then just to keep kind of going down this list of issues, uh, honesty and trustworthiness, Joe Biden is leading uh, very heavily among that with that issue. Uh, again, 53, 36, um, very unsurprising to me. Joe Biden comes across uh, as a very compassionate, honest, kind of straight shooter kind of guy. Donald Trump lies every single day of his life, usually multiple times. So this number is completely unsurprising, but we should contextualize it. In 2016, I don't have the exact numbers, but Hillary Clinton was viewed as very untrustworthy by the electorate. I think I already talked about that. She was um, closer to, to Trump's numbers. Right. Much closer than, than Biden's numbers. Right. So I think I just think it's unsurprising that Biden is doing well in that area. Do you have any thoughts about that? I think you could have put anyone up, given that they were probably a man and you would have seen numbers about the same. And I bet even a woman, given that some of that may have been that Hillary was a woman in 2016. But again, I think you've had four years to see Donald Trump in office and he hasn't grown into the position at all. He hasn't I don't know what people were expecting to happen. Like <laughs> he wasn't going to get better. So right, right. It, hindsight's twenty twenty on that, and I I won't pass judgment on voters. Um, and then finally, a clear plan for solving the country's problems. Again, 
Biden leading by six points. Obviously, the Democrats actually have a platform and a set of plans they're running on. Uh, the Republicans have no plan other than to give Trump more power uh, and more time to, to screw things up. So that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, do you have anything on that? Yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> of course, like, there's a platform and there isn't a platform. There's plans and there's appeasing the whims of a man who has no, no sympathy, no acknowledgement of the position he holds, no, no, no understanding of the depth of the crisis we're in. So, again, the numbers should be higher. <laughs> right, right, right. I guess it's just a highlight of how partisan uh, the electorate has become. Yeah. Anyway, I guess kind of to bring in some news from this week specifically with the race, the Atlantic published uh, a big story about the president referring to uh, service members as losers and suckers, which reminds us of what he said about John McCain during the 2016 campaign and how he likes people who weren't captured. Um, and so kind of with that backdrop, uh, Joe Biden is leading by four points amongst active duty service members in a poll that was conducted before either convention. So this is not a poll that captures I'm guessing a very real and a very strong anger amongst active duty service members about Donald Trump's statements. But again, to draw back to 2016, only 25% of service members supported Hillary Clinton, while 54% supported Donald Trump. Um, do you, let's talk about the news from the Atlantic. What, what do you have to say about what the president said? I, again, so just so we can confirm, it is confirmed by multiple news sources, including Fox News, that these comments were made, these, these attitudes were held by the president. And like, of course, like, again, I don't know what the big shock is. He called John McCain a loser and just disparaged him in public, like in the middle of an interview with an audience. So like, of course, that's the way he thinks behind closed doors, because that's the way he thought, like, just out in the open. Um, again, like, he shouldn't be commander in chief. Like, <laughs> that's, that's really it. And it's a disservice because he hasn't taken any action on the bounties placed on our troops heads in Afghanistan by Russians and the Taliban. So it, it's a pattern of disrespect. And yeah, what, do you, what about you? Yeah, and for listeners who haven't had the chance to read the article, um, it talks about when the president was visiting France and he, on his schedule, he was meant to go to a, a cemetery of World War I uh, soldiers and he decided not to go. And kind of, there's a pattern, like you said, Connor, and he has consistently avoided um, like parades with like, injured veterans it's the reporting is clear that the president has this very weird aversion to like disfigured bodies um you know so a veteran who has lost a leg or an arm or, or whatever um which is just a highlight of the president's own vanity because he's very obviously very concerned about his physical appearance his hair his skin he wears the loose clothing so that nothing is ex accentuated. Um, so it's, I, I, it's, it's deeply troubling um, 
to hear a commander in chief speak like that about veterans. Um, just reprehensible comments that are, of course, being defended by the president's supporters. I don't think this is going to change the race. It, you know, will probably have the same effect of the Billy Bush tapes in that the media and rational people being very upset about it and supporters of the president just say, yeah, it's, it's worth it to get the judicial nominees and the tax breaks. It's mm -hmm. just, it's part of the package. And of course he doesn't think like that because he's called the families of the, of the killed soldiers. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders was in the room where it happened and I trust her. Right, as we should. No, I mean, again, the article said he hasn't called um, the families of all the service members mm -hmm. who have died under his presidency. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of the backdrop of the race right now. Lots of things happening, lots of things bound to change. Um, Connor, like you mentioned in the intro, let's talk about the financials a little bit. Uh, like you said, the Biden campaign and the DNC have jointly raised $364.5 million just in August, which sets a record previously set by the 08 Obama campaign of $200 million. So it nearly doubled the previous record. Um, and August, of course, of course, was a big month for the campaign. You had Kamala Harris uh, selected. And just within 48 hours of that announcement, the campaign raised $48 million. So they're raising a million dollars an hour. Um, more than 50% of the money came from online small dollar donors. And more than 1.5 million Americans contributed for the first time in the month of August. So that, to me, shows... Uh, a lot of excitement for Joe Biden. That 1.5 million is a, is a big number of, of first-time donors. And when a reporter asked him about it, Biden said, quote, more than anything, these numbers humble me, even in a global recession, working families set aside some money to power this campaign and a little, a little bit added up in a big way. So that was just, it's always nice to hear some statements from Joe Biden in this podcast because he, uh, he's just a man filled with compassion and gratitude for what he has in life, which is a strict departure from the president of the United States. Um, and then just one last, one last thing on the financials before I toss it to you to see what you think. Uh, the Biden-Harris campaign uh, announced last week a $45 million uh, ad buy on digital and television ads. So that's a, that's a big number. And then the Trump campaign and the RNC have not announced their August fundraising numbers, uh, which is usually a bad sign when you're five days into the next month and you haven't announced your previous month's numbers. That usually means they're very low. Uh, what, what, what were your takes on the great month for the Biden campaign? I mean, if you want to use the enthusiasm poll and meter that the Trump campaign touts for people voting, I think it's an excellent sign that Joe Biden has crushed fundraising goals for August, especially after the DNC, especially all that after, after all that messaging. Even with the D, uh, the RNC happening afterwards, like they were still able to beat campaign expectations and found um, donations. So like it looks to like I, it's good stuff, <laughs> right? Which again, I hate to keep drawing back to 2016. We talked about this in the first episode. <laughs> Hillary Clinton did outspend Donald Trump by quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so it's but not... again, like you would rather have more money than less. That mm -hmm. just is the truth of it. Um, okay. Well, that's enough about the presidential race. I want to talk about the Massachusetts Democratic primary uh, for their United States Senate seat that's open. 
And at the end of this section, I'll kind of talk about why I think it's important to care about Massachusetts. Um, so last Tuesday, incumbent Senator Ed Markey defeated primary challenger Representative Joe Kennedy III. Uh, Markey won with 54% of the vote. Uh, Markey was endorsed by numerous progressive leaders, including uh, his fellow Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren, and uh, Kennedy was endorsed by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Um, Markey, he's 74 years old, he's no spring chicken, uh, was able to defeat Kennedy, who's 39, uh, by taking some really progressive stances, uh, and young people were really central to his campaign. Uh, Connor, what did you think about, about this race? I think it's the primary fight that no Democrat wanted to have. Like, Kennedy had a good solid seat in the house. Like he was a good voice for the people of Massachusetts in the house. And it, it's for me, the calculus doesn't add up as why he would challenge Markey in the first place, a popular sitting Senator. So sad that happened, but also I think it's important that you have challenges in primaries to begin with, just to keep the incumbent on his, on their toes. Um, making sure the voices of the of their constituents are heard. So ugly, but like, I think it's important that it happened. And I think a good reflection of where the Democratic Party is headed, especially in bluer states as a whole. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, primaries are very healthy when they're run properly. And I think this one, for the most part, did stay um, issues-based. I think towards the end, it got a little nasty, but nothing mm -hmm. that somebody won't recover from. Uh, on, on victory night, uh, Senator Markey said, quote, tonight's victory is a tribute to those young people uh, who helped on the campaign and the age of incrementalism is over, which is big for a senator who previously voted in favor of Bill Clinton's crime bill and the Iraq war um, to say that the age of incrementalism is over. Uh, so Ed Markey has kind of gone through quite the transformation in the last few years. Always been a progressive, but not not someone whose name was known now across the country. Um, not like a Bernie Sanders. Not at all. No. Uh, he's kind of allied himself recently with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the House uh, by co-sponsoring co the Green New Deal in the United States Senate. Um, so she really, you know, that's really interesting to me to see a, an older politician kind of re read the room, read the political environment in Massachusetts and say, you know, it's it's time to do these progressive things. And to me, it felt very organic. It didn't feel like he thought, oh, I'm gonna lose this primary if I don't do this. It's, this is what the people want, therefore I will deliver or work to deliver those goals. And I think this can be a roadmap for people, for politicians who don't want to lose their seats. Like if they're if they've been serving for a long time, I, you know, this is a whole different discussion. I'm not in favor of term limits, but this is a way to hold them accountable. You, you push them to the left. And I think if Joe Biden wins, this will be a really interesting blueprint on how to kind of keep him honest. And I think he's already done that behind the scenes. Like he ran to the center during the primaries. And since he's won the primaries, you've seen him go to the left and adopt these green trillion dollar spending packages for rebuilding the economy you've had the the charter with bernie sanders um 
so I think you're sort of seeing even in like an establishment candidate like Joe Biden, like adopting more progressive policies. And I, I would say a more natural way than if, than any other situation. Right. Yeah. So I guess just kind of big, like why this matters to me is that politicians really can change and grassroots efforts to make that change happen are very effective a lot of, you know, a lot of the time, especially in primary races. Uh, One kind of quirk of this primary is that Kennedy was kind of more moderate than Markey. So you don't often see the younger candidate uh, run on the more moderate edge. Um, But yeah, like you said, sad that Kennedy will no longer be in Congress. He did vacate or he, he, will have to vacate his seat in January because he, I mean, he, he, yeah. you know, there was an election for it and he wasn't in it. He was running for the Senate. Um, so hopefully we see him in politics again. I, I like him, but yeah. it is what it is. Not everyone can win. No, I'm sure Kennedy, I've told you this, I'm sure Kennedy really was hoping for Elizabeth Warren to be part of the Democratic ticket, uh, mm-hmm. either president or vice president, because I think Kennedy probably would have been the natural uh, candidate to take her seat, but that that sure didn't work out for him uh, nope. or for anyone else who was hoping to see that. Um, Again, I just can't believe that calculus was made. Like, it's just so odd that he did that, but it is what it is. And I guess to say what all the headlines are saying, this is the first time uh, a member of that Kennedy family uh, has lost a Democratic primary in the state of Massachusetts. So that history is uh, written and they have now lost. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. But anyway, uh, that's that's the Massachusetts Democratic primary for you. Okay, so now I want to talk about a little bit of an update on what we've talked about the last couple of weeks, uh, the poisoning of Alexei Navalny in Russia. He's still in Germany. Um, just a reminder, he's an anti-corruption critic of Russian pres- President Vladimir Putin and his government. Uh, and at this point, NATO and German officials have, have confirmed that he was, quote, without a doubt poisoned using a nerve agent called Novichok which Novichok is not, you can't just go buy it at the supermarket. Um, it's kind of become a favorite of the Russian state in poisoning critics. Um, so Russia is still holding that they didn't do it, but like nobody believes them. And, it, you know, one thing that has complicated the the investigation is that it did happen in Russia, whereas some poisonings have happened, you know, in the United Kingdom or in Western Europe. So countries where it happens, you know, are able to investigate a little bit more. But I'm going to go ahead and trust NATO and the German government over Vladimir Putin's government in Russia. Uh, but Connor, on this story, we did get a request from a listener, a valued listener, mm-hmm. about why, why americans who maybe aren't super plugged into politics should care about international news and i guess the two big stories we've done recently are the poisoning of navalny and the protests in belarus so and this was a hard question for me to answer because i think for me it just it makes sense that it matters but i can't particularly articulate why um 
but I'm going to give it my best go. And then I'm going to let you answer the question from once again, our valued yeah. listener. Um, the pod. Friend of, yeah. um, so my kind of opinion on this is that in the 21st century, in 2020, none of us are isolated from others. And that, spans across uh, national borders. So even if you don't know someone living in Russia or living in Europe or Africa or Asia or South America, like you're still connected to them um, through just kind of a shared, a shared human bond. Uh, but then also like economically and politically um, with globalism, trade is happening worldwide. Like it, it, it has to matter to Americans both as global citizens and as consumers, what happens abroad? Because, you know, a, a rising tide for me in this case lifts all ships. So like when, when there's political stability in Belarus and Belarusians can go to the polls and vote safely, I feel like I'm living in a better, safer world. Uh, and when, when Russia chooses to poison a critic of a corrupt government, I feel like I'm living in a less safe, less secure, less stable world. And again, I just think we all do better if, if we have fair governments in charge. I think, yeah, yeah, democracy is good. Um, fair governance is good. Everyone should be free uh, to vote, to protest, to speak out, to practice religion, uh, or to not practice religion. Like, and that's not exporting like American values abroad. That's to me exporting human values abroad. Um, so Connor, what, how do you answer this question? Yeah, echoing most of what you said, like, I think if you were looking at it from someone as an American who's not plugged in, I would consider thinking about it like, like you said, we in a globalized society, we are all connected and the effects in Belarus, while we're not out in the streets, while we may not actually see them protesting, that instability there, that does affect our lives in some way because asylum seekers might go into Europe and then to other countries in Europe and that might affect their stances on immigration and that might result in a hard line on immigration. And then I think those those feelings are are projected and then felt like if you're seeing a rush of immigration in Europe, you're more likely to perceive a Russian immigration in the United States as something bad. And not to say it's all connected to immigration, but like you said, like stability, free and fair elections, economic opportunity, like those things are important because a more stable world is one where not only like Belarusians can succeed, but if you want to think selfishly, like Americans are able to do better and people are more likely to come and visit and buy our products. We could sell our products. Like the world thrives when, like you said, not exporting American values, but exporting these sort of like human rights of, of equality, of liberty. Um, if those are allowed to flourish, then the world is able to do is able, is able to be better and like when you have world governments sanctioning assassinations of critics and you have a lackluster response from america from europe whatever it may be then and then it reflects like these things are okay which i think everyone 
no matter whether you know who Alexia Navalny was before, like you would say, no, like you shouldn't, you shouldn't poison someone who disagrees with you. And I think that's, that's why it's important. Yeah, that's, yeah, I agree. Um, I just, one last thing on this, I think this is kind of the challenge of the coming years is positioning ourselves, not just young people, not just, you know, like you and I, students of international studies, but positioning all of all of us as global citizens and recognizing a shared common humanity um, with people who we will never meet, we don't speak their language, we don't practice their culture, um, we'll never personally interact with them, but we have to find a way um, to, to find a connection otherwise. Um, or, like, it, or it won't work. The, the, whole, won't work. the whole project of, of the past 70 years won't work. Yeah, and like we're seeing that with not another, a question for another time, but <laughs> the response to the pandemic and like climate change and all of these sort of like macro level extinction existential problems that we face, it's not going to be one government that leads the charge on that. It's going to be all of us. Like, as corny as that is like it's, it's yeah. true yeah um but i i know we both do we really appreciated this question it made us both mm -hmm. um think for a long time about you know yeah why does international news matter um so listeners please send us more questions um this was this was great you can leave us a voice memo on anchor which is linked in all of our social media accounts or you can just like contact me or connor DM us on the Instagram page. Um, yeah, DM, DM us, text us, whatever. Um, but yeah, we love questions. And it can be like big, like meta questions like that, or it can be like talk more about X issue and we will do our best. Happily. Okay, so time for my favorite segment, news that sounds too dumb to be true. Um, so Donald Trump was in North Carolina last week giving a speech and he said, quote, they are going to have to check their vote by going to the poll and voting that way because if it tabulates, then they won't be able to do that. So let them send it in and let them go vote. If their system is as good as they say it is, then obviously they won't be able to vote. If it isn't tabulated, they will be able to vote. A few things on this. First, I think he has a calendar that has a word of the day, and I think that day's Tabu word was tabulated, mm -hmm. and that's fine. I love when people learn new words. Uh, that's great for him. I think his vocabulary could use some diversity. But this was all in relation to vote by mail, which we've talked about before. He does not like. Um, and he wants voters in North Carolina to go ahead and order that absentee ballot, send it in, and then election day go right in and vote again, you know, see if, just see if you can get away with it. Um, which is of course illegal. And after he gave this speech, the board of elections in North Carolina issued a statement begging people not to do this because again, it's illegal. And there are better ways of tracking your ballot. Maybe calling your local election commission um, would be the first way to do that. Um, what did you think about this story? I'm, I'm sure you saw it previously. You know, it's a big day when the president of the United States calls for people to break election law. I think, again, in all the chaos that happens elsewhere, just to say those words out loud and then think about what that actually means. It's a sad state for our republic. But like I've said before, and I will continue to say until this election day, 
I'm not surprised that he encouraged a legal ballot, whatever he wanted, tabulation, yeah. Yeah. to use his word. Golf joke not intended, but it is par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he he is golfing today he is golfing today it all works out it's it's a good bet just any given day he probably is golfing yeah. um yeah. okay well that's that's news that sounds too dumb to Wait, be true I, I had i had something to oh, add go ahead i had my own little piece of news because um as you may have known or not have known the sturgis motorcycle rally happened in south dakota a couple weekends ago no masks um you had thousands thousands of people typically 500,000 people go to this motorcycle rally in South Dakota as you can imagine masks were not mandatory but this it's sad there was the first death reported 400 cases have been traced back to it but just in sort of peak 2020 I think Smash Mouth performed at the rally and so you have like a hotspot related to a Smash Mouth concert, which I think is the first time you can say that about a Smash Mouth concert in maybe a while. So, you know, Smash Mouth led to the death of a man and 400 people getting infected in a novel coronavirus. Wow. That was yeah. an excellent addition. Thank you. And <laughs> yes. Um, I don't want to go off on another tangent, but just quickly, um, before we started recording, uh, I was reading local news mm -hmm. and my Henry County, Tennessee's Republican party uh, held a caucus today to nominate candidates for county mayor and county sheriff. There were, according to the count, the newspaper here, there were about 400 people in attendance and based on the pictures, there was not one mask. And right next to that story was a story about our current county mayor extending the masking order for another week. So, interesting uh, little tidbit about henry county uh particularly the republican party here masking not mandated even uh by order of the mayor so i hope everyone is safe i hope no one gets coronavirus but i sure do wish there were uh people taking it more seriously here in rural areas of the state uh anyway just my little tangent um my recommendation of the week connor is the podcast missing america so just the little description uh, Missing America is the story of what happens when the United States under Trump abdicates our role as an example for the world. Host and former Deputy National Security Advisor to President Obama, Ben Rhodes speaks to inspiring leaders and activists who are fighting to take up the slack in America's absence in a world where nationalism, authoritarianism, and disinformation have taken hold like never before. Um, I think it's it's nine episodes I've listened to about half of them so far. It's phenomenal. The interviews that Ben Rhodes was able to do in places like Hong Kong uh, are very inspiring. It's young people who are making a difference in their countries, uh, putting their lives at risk. Um, what an excellent segue from our question earlier. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, ben, ben explains, you know, why it matters and you know, what Trump has, has done to exacerbate global problems. Um, so that's my recommendation for the week. I know all of you don't have time to just listen to another podcast about politics. Um, but this will, be, I mean, you don't have to listen to it all in one week. An episode here and there will be plenty. They don't really go out of date. Um, these are problems that we're going to be dealing with for decades. Um, but that's, that's all I have. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. 
Uh, as always, give us a follow on social media. Give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, again, questions, comments, shoot them our way. Oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man, oh, you know, man.